Turn with me again, if you will, in your Bibles to John chapter 15. We'll be there in just a moment. Can I take just, just a moment to uh, reminisce? Friday marked the one-year anniversary of my surgery. This day, on the 12th, I was fighting to breathe. During surgery, my left lung had collapsed, and then my right lung began to fill with fluid on Tuesday. And as I got up to walk down to the concession stand with my grandchildren, I couldn't make it out of the room. That's when we found out that the other lung had collapsed during the surgery. Uh, we didn't alarm a lot of people with that, other than my wife and I going bonkers about it, because they didn't manage to tell us anything about that. But we had quite a celebration this last week as uh, celebrated the one-year anniversary. Let me thank you again for all of your prayers, all of the many ways that you reached out to Blair and I during that time. You were a blessing to us. As we welcome the start of a lot of new things going on, uh, there's a new schedule that we're in right now. Uh, our new, our getting back on our, our Wednesday evening schedules with our Wednesday night suppers, and that's going to be so very, very much fun. Last week was tremendous to fellowship together and sit with so many different families uh, all around the fellowship hall there. And then FBU, and you say, what's that? And I say, just wait. Well, with all the new stuff going on, I want to go back and pick up something we were working on last year and we didn't finish. When Jesus gathered the disciples together for that last night before he was going to be betrayed in the garden and then uh, the Via Dolorosa, the, the, the path of suffering and the way to the cross, Jesus gathered his beloved together. And beginning, we find in, in John chapter 12, uh, he begins to pour into them and prepare them for what's coming as best as, as he possibly could. It's just hard to prepare somebody for the fact that you know you're about to die and they think you're about to be king, okay? There's a big difference between those. And so he was trying to prepare them and said so many wonderful things. And as we studied those, especially in John 13 and 14, oh, how that touched our hearts last year. Oh, how that brought encouragement as we applied the truths that we'd learned. And so today I want us to pick up where we left off at the beginning of John chapter 15. And the 15th chapter is powerful. This is, is so incredible. You're going to learn things that when you apply them to your devotional time with the Lord, it's going to make your time with Jesus so sweet, so incredibly precious. And this is what he was bestowing to all of the disciples that day. That day. He wanted them to know the intimacy that they could have with him because he was going to die and go to be uh, standing at the right hand of God, but his spirit, his Holy Spirit, was going to abide within them. And so there's so much that we have to learn here. I want to just today, I just want to read that first verse again with you. John chapter 15, verse 1. He said, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. And then the first two words of the next verse, he said, every branch. This morning, what I want to do is introduce to you the three characters that are going to dominate this entire chapter. And everything that we're going to learn is going to flow off of who these three characters are, who they are in this unfolding, the, the vine, the vine dresser, and the branches. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, as we come before you today, we thank you for the joy, the incredible joy of being in your presence. And then we thank you for the great joy of being in the presence of one another. Oh, Lord, there's nothing like your family gathered together to fellowship in, in worship, to fellowship in giving, 
to fellowship in praying one for another, and to fellowship around your word and receiving instruction from you. So we just want to open our hearts to you as you open our, your heart to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now this chapter is all about grapevines and branches and the vine dresser that takes care of them. Now, now I have to understand that there's a lot about that I don't understand. But this was very, very common in Jesus' day. This was part of, of the fundamental part of uh, the economy and also the religion of the Jewish people. The, the symbol of the grapevine was powerful. Uh, it, it represents in some places uh, Israel, where God had planted his vine here in, in his promised land. But then it has other symbolism in other places. But it was such a powerful symbol that when Herod was erecting the temple that Jesus would see in Jesus' day, uh, over it and around its walls and everything were grapevines, solid gold grapevines. Because this was a powerful, powerful part of the imagery, the symbolism of who the children of Israel were. You and I might find some of this a little bit strange, but they found it just, this was just common knowledge that all of these folks knew. And so that they knew, for instance, every Jew would know that grapevines would rather produce shoots and leaves than grapes. That's a reality, okay? And so they, I didn't know that, but the end result of that is if you don't do something with all of the foliage going on, you're not going to have any grapes. Every Jew would know that the grapevines had to be pruned radically at the end of the season, pruned back almost harshly. Do you think, how can that thing ever grow again? The Jews would know that, that branches with no fruit had to be lopped off to where they wouldn't be sucking energy into just the foliage that needed to go to the production of grapes. The Jews would know that. And the fruitful branches would be carefully cared for by the vine dresser, even pruned a little bit and, and made at the end of the season cut way back to where they could then produce again another year. There's a lot about grapevines I don't know. But let me tell you what folks here in the South do know a lot about tomato plants. Yeah, yeah. I, some of you are, are famous for your tomato plants. And I know because I benefit from it quite regular. <laughs> and I, I, I tried my hand at growing tomatoes, okay? Didn't know there's as much to grow in tomatoes as, as there is, okay? So I was proud of our tomato plants. They were up four foot tall. They were here like this. They were big and round and they were lush and green. I couldn't find much anything red on them though. And so it was pretty disastrous that first year. You know, a couple of little bitty pieces of fruit, and it was hardly even red, and it, wasn't, it was kind of hard, wasn't really good. And so, you know, I, I, I come, to, come to my family, come to my family. What did I do wrong besides everything? What did I do wrong? Well, I didn't know that you're supposed to take most of all the lower leaves off the tomato plant, plant it real, real deep in the ground where just the upper leaves were showing. And as it grows, with those little, 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 sucker uh, uh, limbs come off to the side just to whack them off and try to encourage the growth to go up. I didn't know anything about having to, to prune them back or all these kind of things. And, and so I was asking questions. People tell me, do this and do this and use this to prepare for the soil and do this and the other. And you know what I decided? Ingalls is right down the road. <laughs> There's a lot to know. There's a lot to know, and some of you do it so very good, and, and I'm proud of you. And, I, and Let me let you know something. I do not have a green thumb. 
You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the, the, the gardener. My wife is. I'm not. I'm in charge of digging holes and cutting grass. That's what I do. I can, she can trust me doing that. If you want a plant killed, give it to me, all right? I mean, I've even found a way to kill kudzu. Uh, you just got to understand, I'm not good when it comes to green things. That's my wife's job right there. She just tells me where to dig the hole. But here's the thing. In the same way that, that you who really know what you're doing with the tomato, tomato plants, you know when to prune, you know how deep, you know all of the rest of these things. Well, in Jesus' day, grapes were a part of the warp and woof of life. The production of, of the wine was so incredibly important. And so the whole, the, the whole commerce knew about this. I mean, even if you were a shepherd, you knew something about grapevines. Didn't matter who you were or what you were, were doing. This is, is the instant. I want you to grasp something here. What Jesus was saying to them talking about grapevines, he could probably talk to us about in relation to tomatoes. But what he's given us here is understanding this about the grapes. So, here's what I want you to do. There, there, there are three characters in this story. There are three elements of them. I want to, to make you understand who we're talking about. And then as we proceed over the next few weeks, we're going to be letting this really unfold to understand our relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. First of all, he says, I am the vine. I am the true vine. Let me tell you about that word true. True means I'm the original. I, I, all others are copies of me. Okay? I am the true vine. And he's associating here with the Messiah when he's saying this. I am the true vine. In, in Hampton Court in England, I want you to look at this picture. See that up there? This is one grapevine. See this, see this kind of tree right over here? Okay, that's, that's the vine. That's the main vine right there. The roots of this, some of them are two feet thick. This, whoop, where'd he go? Anyway, this, this vine has been in existence for 2,000 years. 2,000 years old that it's been around. And it produces several tons of grapes every year. Some of the branches, as you can see, are some 200 feet away from the vine. And yet they produce just as luscious of grapes way down on the end as they do from those who are very close to the stalk. Life flows from that single root all the way down all of those branches to create all of the tremendous, tremendous fruit. Now, I want you to keep that image in your mind as we talk about the, these wonderful truths that we're going to learn. Jesus says, I'm the vine. I'm, I'm, that, I'm that big one right there. And everything that grows flows off of me. And flows because of me. I am the true vine, he says. The symbolism of the vine and the branches goes way, way back in, in Jewish culture, like I said. But Jesus makes it very clear in this analogy, he's talking about him, the Father, and us. Okay? And so he starts out with himself. I am the true vine. And we find out this is a living union, okay, that we may bear fruit. It's a loving union so that we can have fellowship with him. And it's a lasting union because we have eternal life thereof. 
So here's what I want to start off. My very first point talking about the vine is this. Here's what I want to ask this big question. And this is a big question. It's there in your notes. Here's the question. Are you connected to the vine? Are you connected to the vine? Are you living in a life-giving connection with Jesus Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you surrendered your life to Him? To where everything that you are is given to Him. And, and he, he owns you. He is your Master. He is your Lord. He is your King. He is your Savior. This is how you're connected to the vine. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This connection is vital. And this is imperative. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't been grafted into Him, and if you're not a part of the, of the plant that He is, then a lot of this, first of all, is not going to make sense to you. But what parts are going to make sense to you are going to scare you. All right? I'm being honest right up front. Because the things that are talked about here really, really are alarming. Some of them are you rejoice over. But some things, especially with those who are not genuinely connected to the vine, is not. Jesus says, I am the vine. You can choose to either be grafted in with me and be one with me and draw eternal life from me. Or you can choose to forever be separated from me and have no eternal life and have no productivity. That is your choice. So first of all, he says, I am the true vine. Secondly, he says, my father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser. This is the one who is in control of all of the things that relates, not only in this case to this vine, but the vine dresser would be, he would cover all of the vines in the whole vineyard, the whole orchard. He would be over every one of them. He would watch every one of these. Now, Jesus is saying, we're only talking about one vine right now, and that's me. And the vine dresser is the Father. All decisions, everything he chooses to do is for the good of his vine and that vine's branches. Everything the Father decides to do is for the good of his vine and that vine's branches. I want you to hold on to that thought. That's why I repeated it. Everything he does is just for that. In this, in we study, we're going to see that, that we go from no fruit to some fruit to more fruit to much fruit as we progress through this 15th chapter. The importance of the vine dresser is to see to it that the vine that he loves produces quality and quantity fruit. Okay? That's, that's the key. Many of us as believers, we say, Lord, we, we want to have fruit in our lives. But we're not really keen on this pruning process because sometimes that can be uncomfortable. We're going to talk about specifics about that uh, a little later. But the vine dresser is meticulously trained. Over years, the vine dresser will be an apprentice under a master. And for years, he will train knowing, you know, how to prune, when to prune, even what angle to cut. All of these things that he would have to know before he was given responsibility in the secular world to be a vine dresser. The father knows everything as it comes to how to care for his vine and that vine's branches. Listen to me. I want to say this. I want you to hear me very well. The greatest judgment God could ever bring on a believer's life would be to let him alone. 
Just let him alone. The greatest judgment God could ever do in your life is leave you alone. But because he loves you, because you're grafted into the vine, because you are his, he cares for you, and so he is going to do even what may be uncomfortable in order for you to draw life from his son. This is what we're going to be talking about as we open all of these wonderful truths. He'll cut away dead wood from our lives because it could bring disease and insects and such. He'll cut away some of those sucker shoots that were, would just cause us to, to grow with a lot of foliage but not a lot of fruit. We're going to look at that in our next time we gather about what that pruning process looks like. Sometimes he, he prunes us just with his word. We're, we're reading his word and we see something there and Holy Spirit says, this is you and this is what you need to do about it. This is something you haven't been doing that you need to do. Or this is something that you've been doing that's wrong and you need to quit. Or this is something in your life that has no business in your life and you need to cut it out. Sometimes he just does that through his word. Aren't you glad that he does it that way? That you can just read his word and draw strength from that word and you can, you can find change in your life, transformation in your life simply because of the word. Sometimes he just uses his word. Sometimes he chastens us, disciplines us. Sometimes he brings correction into our lives. And, and, and I don't know about you, but you, you probably know the sound of a belt being pulled out of his loops. <laughs> okay? That, that's one of the scariest sounds that I can remember, all right? And sometimes God loves us enough that he has to discipline us. And that's not always comfortable. It, it, it never helped one bit for my father to say, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. In my smart mouth, I really wanted to say, well, let's say, if you have a turn then, okay? No. There's reality to that, and if you as a parent, a grandparent, you've had to administer discipline, you know there's a truth to that. But when you're on the receiving end, this is what the author of Hebrews says, when you're the one that's being chastened at the time, it's not fun. But Father loves us enough to where he's going to discipline us. He'll do that. And we're going to look at how that happens a little later. I am the vine, he said. My Father is the vine dresser. He is the one who is in control. He is the one who does the pruning. He knows everything about us, and, and he wants to do what's good for his vine and all of that vine's branches. Now, let's talk about those branches for a minute. If you look at verse 5 for just a minute, he makes it abundantly clear in his analogy who he's talking about. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. You have to, have to worry about how to interpret this symbolism. Jesus is going to show you, tell you exactly how to interpret it. I am the vine, my father's vine, you are the branches. He was speaking specifically to those who were sitting in the room with him in the upper room. But by proxy for those of us who come to believe in Christ between, because of them and their descendants, he's talking to us as well. We are part of the branches. And Jesus wants us to know absolutely what our relationship is to him. Now, let's think just a moment. A branch by itself doesn't have the strength to hold on and to bear the weight of the fruit. If you've ever been around a vineyard, you know as the growth season starts and all of the branches are beginning to grow, that vine dresser is out there every day and he's caring for those branches. He'll see to it that they wander up 
other wood or they go up the trellis or they get on uh, you know, the, the, the big strings or wires that are held for them. He's, every step of the way it's important for the branch to be taken care of, to be given support because the branch doesn't have enough strength in and of itself to hold its own weight, let alone the weight of the fruit that's going to be on it. Left by itself, it'll fall to the ground and run around the ground and it won't produce any fruit. It'll be dirty. Okay? But the vine dresser knows what he's doing. And as that branch gets long enough, he'll tuck it into part of the trellis or tuck it into some of the staves that are around or get it onto some of the, the wires or the ropes. He'll have it in a way to where it can have support because it doesn't have enough strength by itself. Listen, you and I don't have enough strength in and of ourselves to do life without Jesus. We don't have enough strength to be able to, to stand up to the storms that come our way without help. The winds last night. Uh, I heard that, that uh, they, they hit 55, 60 miles an hour up here in our mountains. That's a bodacious wind. Okay? And they, they said on the news, now you take everything that's outside that may be loose, you take it in and secure it, otherwise it's going to be in the next county. Okay? When the winds of life blow, you and I have got to be well anchored to the vine. Okay? And it's the vine dresser that does that. Because in and of ourselves, we don't have the strength. We don't have the ability. We don't have the strength. Secondly, the branch cannot produce its own fruit. The branch doesn't have the power to produce its own fruit. I mean, you, it just doesn't work that way. And we're going we're gonna to look next week at what happens when the, the, the branch is clipped off or falls off or it is disengaged from, from the vine. Because you see... you. The, the branch has to suck its nutrients through the vine. It doesn't have its own source of life. It can't produce fruit by itself. But only because it has that union with the vine. And the vine has all the nutrients coming up through the roots. And going up the vine. And then off it goes into the branch. And that branch, like the picture we saw earlier, may go 200 feet, still having just as much nutrient, just as much power to produce as if it was right next to the vine. This is why it's so important for you and I to be connected to the vine, not just by being saved. And I pause a moment there. <laughs> being saved is what initially grafts you into the vine. What keeps you saved is your communion with the vine. The intimacy, the way you draw strength from the vine. We're going to ask ourselves the question, how do I as a branch draw strength from the vine? How, how do I draw the sustenance that can produce fruit from the vine? How does that happen? Because where that happens is when you get into the Word and you just love the Word and you're studying the Word and God's speaking to you through the Word. When you're delving into prayer and when you're bringing your concerns before the Lord and the Lord is bringing His heart down to yours. It happens when you serve Him, when you obey Him. These are some of the ways. We're going to dig into a lot more of those later. But how you live in life-giving union 
with the vine. It's so imperative. Here's a word you're going to hear over and over again. It's mentioned 11 times in 11 verses. It's the word abide. The word abide. This is the key thought for branches. You have to abide. Your, your Bible may say remain. Okay? Uh, the little Greek word there is minnow. It's spelled different from the little fish, but it's, it's pronounced the same way, minnow. So your, your, your Bible may say uh, uh, remain or continue in the vine. But the word abide means, and we're going to get a lot more into this later, but it means to live in such a way that Jesus' power and energy and inspiration flows through you. And then anything that you do is done in his power. And any fruit you produce is really his. You know, the branch can't brag, hey, look here, this cluster of fruit I've got. He didn't produce that, that, that fruit. The vine produced that fruit. And it was all the energy coming up through the vine and out through the branch that caused you know, we have no reason to brag about what God does in and through us. It's all grace. It's all His mercy. It's all Him flowing in and through us. How do you tell if you're abiding in Christ? Is there a special feeling that you have if you're abiding in Christ? No. We're going to learn here as we go through these verses how to know if we're abiding. Because Jesus doesn't leave any of it to, to, to just guesswork, right? He, he doesn't. You know, he, he, he says there, there is producing of fruit, and there's experiences of pruning, and there's the answering of prayer, and there's experiencing of incredible joy, and many other things we're going to learn as we say, how, how do I know if I'm abiding in the body? The most important thing is that you are experiencing productivity. Things are growing out of your life because the energy of the vine is flowing through you. I'll tell you about a little something that, that Larry and I did here a while back. We had a project going on outside, and I used one of my favorite little tools. Tim, the tool man, Taylor. No, that's, that's not right. Uh, but I do, I do, I love my tools. I do. And so this is a reciprocal saw, a reciprocating saw, and it's got a blade here. I didn't, I didn't put the bullet in it, but it's got a blade in it here. And we were out doing some work outside, and, you know, this thing is, this, this has got a lot of power to it, okay? And so I was going away with it, and making good progress. And then it quit. I looked at it, the trigger's all right and everything. Nothing, nothing burning on here. So I traced the cord down. What had happened? It had come unplugged. Okay? It got unplugged from the source. It couldn't produce because it wasn't plugged in. It couldn't do what it was designed to do because it didn't have the power. This is what it means to abide. You live where the power is. And you're tucked into where the power is. You can't produce what God wants you to have in your life. Apart from being plugged into Him. Some of you here today, you've never done that. You've never plugged your life into Jesus. 
And Brother Fred, I'm really not sure I even know how to do that. Well, let me tell you, it's not as hard as you may think. In order to get plugged into Jesus, we first of all have to realize we need it. And that's something Holy Spirit is doing in some of your hearts and minds even right now. He's helping you to understand that you're not plugged into Christ. So how do I do that? I want you to know that you're here today and you're hearing the words and you're listening and this is desiring your heart to be plugged in with Jesus. It's something Holy Spirit's put there. And it's as simple as this. Lord Jesus, I've been doing life by myself, alone and in my own power. But right now I dare to believe that you want me to be plugged in with you. That you died on the cross to take my sins upon yourself. And you rose again three days later so that I could have your eternal life. So right now, Jesus, I want to put my trust in you. I want you to come into my heart and be my Lord and be my Savior. Be the boss in my life. I want to be plugged in to you. Is that the desire of your heart? I want to lead you in a prayer in just a moment where you can ask the Lord to plug you in with Him. There are some of you, some of you, that you've been plugged into Christ, but your plug has gotten worn, and it's misfiring, and it's not doing. You're not producing the way you used to. You need a rewiring job on you this morning. God can do that. You can say, Lord, I've been living for you, but I've let the cares of this world get in my mind. I've gone back to my old way of doing things, and, and I'm not nearly as productive as I once was. But right now, I ask you to come to a rewiring in my heart and life. Get me back in tune with you. I need your life energy flowing through me. For those of you who have done this, let me tell you what your role is in the next few minutes. You be praying. You be praying that those who are here that need to make this decision, that God will give them the encouragement to make today the day to say, I want to be plugged in with Christ. In just a minute, Ed's going to come up here and lead us in a song. And this is our invitation song. And it's an invitation for you to say yes to what God wants to do in your life. It's an invitation for you to say, God, I want to get plugged in with you. I, I want your power to flow through me. I want you to save me. I want you to be my boss and the leader of my life. This is the most important thing we'll do today, okay? This moment is the most important thing we'll do today. So will you pray with me right now? Father God, as I bow before you, I ask you right now to take the reality of your word and bring it home to anyone and everyone here today that needs to make a decision, first of all, for you to be the Lord of their lives. Lord, encourage them right now to pray with me and say, Dear God, I confess to you, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I want to turn away from doing things my way and turn to you. Come into my heart. Cleanse me and forgive me. Be the boss of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I know that the moment that surrender happens, 
that person has been born again into your kingdom. Give them the courage in the next few moments to come and to, to speak to Tony or to Eric. And just, just say, I prayed for the preacher. Because we want to rejoice. The angels are rejoicing. We want to rejoice too. Father, there are others here. They may want to come to the altar and just pray. And say, Lord, my wiring's all frayed. I need you to do a rewiring job on me now. Give me back the joy of my salvation and my service. Others may want to come and unite with our fellowship today to, to move their letter or move their membership here to be a part of this church. Father, this is your time. I pray that you would be glorified as we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.